0: Hi, this is Mark Jordan, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues.
1: So, I want to start um, with your father. Can you tell me about Charles Jordan? I I believe he was a singer and a, a major musical
0: influence on you. Yes, he was. Um... My dad uh, was a classical singer. He was from Montreal, and he moved to uh, New York in the 40s um, and uh, sang with orchestras and big bands uh, in New York, and that's why I was born in Brooklyn. Right. And then uh, I guess in—I I, I don't remember the— I, I obviously I don't remember it, but I think he came to Canada in '51. Back to Canada in '51, and he came to Toronto. He was given a, 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 a one of the first television shows uh, in uh, Toronto and uh, for CBC, and uh, so he did that. But he was a he he was a wonderful singer. He he was a, although he was classically trained, he he sang everything, you know, from from maritime folk songs to um, you know opera. Wow, yeah.
1: Um, and did he not become a cantor at one point?
0: Well when he re- retired uh, he he did he did do some cantorial work and oddly enough uh, my wife to be Amy Skye uh, went to that synagogue and knew my dad <laughs> wow before she knew me <laughs> so,
1: tell me what influence he would have had on you as a musician
0: well he first of all he one of his influences was that he didn't do one thing he did a lot of different things mm-hmm. because he just loved all kinds of music and but one a brilliant thing he said to me and uh he tried to stay out of my way, but one one brilliant thing he said to me, and I've never forgotten it, and it was so helpful, was he said, sing ly- the lyric. Be true to the lyric. And he says, if you really want to learn how to sing lyrics, listen to w- the way women sing lyrics. Don't listen to men. Listen to women. Because they... Uh, this was his opinion, and uh, I, I believe he was right. He said, they, Women uh, uh, identify more strongly uh, with lyric and, and the story than men do, he said, by and large. He said, Listen to Ella Fitzgerald, listen to Nina Simone, listen to Billie Holiday, and people like that. Wow. And I did.
1: I think of you as a songwriter. But you're obviously a performer, and musician, um, artist, and many other things. But in your mind, when did song become um, an important part? Because I don't know when you first began uh, if you wanted to become a writer or if you wanted to become a, a performer or
0: if there was any difference between those two. Um, well... When I started, I wanted to be um, a performer for sure. After I heard Bob Dylan, I thought, "This is for me. I gotta do this." Right. Um, but at, you know, I went to I went to L.A. and um, I my I did a couple of records and they they they. Although they were they're appreciated more now than they were then, although I did have hits with them in Canada. But I you know, uh, it, was, it, it, it was really a financial thing. I, I was offered uh, a, a lot of money to write songs for publishers. And so I, I thought, oh, I'll do this for a couple of years. and it turned out to be about 15 years. I did, and at that time, so during that time, I didn't really perform, and I didn't really go back to performing on stage until I came back to Canada. Can I ask
1: you how how does that happen? So, you decide that you want to become a recording artist or a musician, yeah, um, and then all of a sudden you offered a songwriting deal. Mm-hmm. How does how does one become? Oh how does one get such an offer? Is it because you submitted your songs to be an artist and they liked what you had?
0: No, no, it was uh, just a chance meeting. I was starving to death in uh in l a you know I, I, when I wasn't um, after I made my records i i um I made two records for Warner Brothers and then. Um, that deal was over. And then I started looking for another deal, and it was a long, it was so, you know, I, I didn't get another deal right away. So I, I had to do something for, for money. And um, I d- just happened to be walking down the street one day, and a guy named Ronnie Vance walked by me. And Ronnie was a big fan of mine. And uh, he knew Gary Katz from New York. And anyway, he knew who I was. And he, he says, hi, I'm Ronnie Vance. And uh, we started talking. He said, well, he said, I just got um, uh, a job running uh, at, at Warner uh, Chapel Music. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm driving, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, just you know, driving around looking for work, and and, and he uh, he said, "Well, come and uh, why don't you try uh, just uh, working for a publisher for a while, and uh, writing songs, and uh, until you get your deal." And I said, "Yeah, I'll try it." And we were very successful. You know, more successful than Mark Jordan, the recording artist.
1: Why do you think that is? Um
0: well maybe uh, I've often thought of that. It's a great question. I'm I'm not exactly sure, but what I feel was that I I my music changed uh, a, a little bit from when I was in Canada to when I was in LA, and when I got with the with the with the um, the great players, and these guys were amazing. It was Jeff Beccaro and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, Paige and uh, you know, uh, this is part of the West Coast sound. Yeah, and um, although it wasn't called that then, you know, but that's um, it, it was. It was it was eclipsed by the the the, the Ricky Lee Joneses and you know th- that kind of thing the a much sparser kind of arrangement and and more radio friendly I guess more pop right and um, I I never really analyze. You know, some people analyze the market, and they, and they can write for that. I just wrote whatever came into my head. But my, my, my sound was shaped by, the you know the Toto, Steely Dan crew, and and um, and I think there was a, maybe a slight mismatch there, although, the records looking back were great. But they weren't—they weren't, they weren't um, r- what radio was looking for right at that time. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's really hard to have a hit record. You, it's, the stars have to align. You know, it's—it's—it's mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a hit song at the right time in your life, at the right time in the market you know at the right time in the zeitgeist it's it's uh you know if if people knew how to how to have hits like just knew how to have hits that it it would everybody be having hits. but it, it it really there's a lot of alchemy a lot of luck a lot of everything involved
1: but okay so i wonder when you said that you had success with your songwriting did your songwriting approach change when you joined the publisher, music publisher? No. So what you were doing as a songwriter was no different than what you had been doing
0: up and before that point. Right. But stars were, you know, it's like that, Di- Diana Ross was the first one to record one of my songs, and, and she was already a star. Right. You know, if she was um, somebody else, it may not have, been as successful as it was. You know, it it, it has to do with the artist as well as the song, where the artist is in their career. Like, for instance, Rhythm of My Heart may not have been, five years earlier, may not have been a hit for Rod. In fact, I'm sure it wouldn't have been because he was doing a different kind of music. But Rod was looking for a type of song that would change his image, get him out of the dance thing, a little bit, and back into more of his what he was famous for: his roots, rootsy, that soulful thing that he does.
1: Right. I, so, is it the type of thing with Rod that you actually worked with him, or is it something that you you had the song and you gave it to him and then? Like how yeah. Does no. Work? I.
0: I um, uh, I had written the song uh, with John Capek, and it, it went into the wa- pile <laughs> of cassettes at Warner Chapel, and everybody liked the song, but uh, they, it, it, anyway, it went to all their affiliates, and a guy named Rob Dickens in London, who was the Warner Chapel president in London, England... Heard the song and said, this would be a great song for Rod Stewart, but not right now. And he was so smart. Wow. And he put that cassette on the shelf of uh, cassettes and songs that he loved. And five years later, he had, just by happenstance, he became the president of Warner Records in London. <laughs> And when Rod was looking for a song to finish the Vagabond Heart CD, Rob remembered Rhythm of My Heart and he played it for Rod. And uh, they phoned me up. They said, we're doing this song. We love it.
1: Wow. So (laughs) if it's five years later, do you even remember this song? And is this song doing anything else than sitting in
0: that person's shelf? Um... It was recorded by an Elvis impersonator <laughs> <laughs> in Holland.
1: <laughs> but are you thinking it's a special song when you uh, like when you wrote it? Yeah, you think I it was loved special?
0: it. Oh, okay. I loved it. I loved it because it was uh, the lyric is you know about something, and um, it has that kind of Celtic. Thing. It has a bit of a soul thing. And uh, I, when I was writing that song, I knew it was a hit song. Wow. I remember sitting, I came up with the chorus, and I remember sitting at my keyboard doing da 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 and I was playing it, playing and playing it. And I thought, man. And I had a different lyric to it, to the chorus. And I thought, you know what? It was a real political uh, lyric, as I remember. I don't remember what it was. But it was a little more obtuse. And I thought, man, this is so simple and good. Maybe maybe I need to r- r- look at the lyric. And... and um, And I, so I, I wanted it to be like an anti-war song in, in a way about a guy who, who, who's looking at war and looking and wondering what the hell has happened to humanity and, 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 and love and connection and, and, um. So I changed the lyric to that. I, I changed, I, I, finessed it, and I finessed it, and then I brought it to John Kappak, and he worked on the verses with me, and and uh, it all worked out. Wow! <laughs>
1: but at the same time, it also, it also the, the new lyrics also caused some problems, did it not? That some stations wouldn't play. Yeah.
0: Well, n- not exactly. What what had happened was. Uh, Desert Storm right. had begun a few days before the record was coming out and the BBC phoned Rod or Rod's management and said "We well, can't play this song it's about war
1: uh-huh.
0: well, uh, so he said well it's an anti-war song it doesn't matter <laughs> can't play it and we went ah oh, because that's the big game in town in, in Great Britain obviously mm-hmm. and um so, uh, I, you know, they, they, so they phoned me in a panic, and I went, oh my god, and uh, I tried to rewrite the lyric, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't make it at work, you know, right. and it was what it was, and and thank God, the war lasted forty eight hours. <laughs> you know so
1: it it all worked out so if we go back a few years before that and you were a solo artist yeah and you had hits from right off the bat off your first album did you not
0: well yeah there were hits in, in certain regions they were not worldwide hits right? but I mean you
1: had some recognition for the the work that you did as an artist
0: yeah so
1: absolutely how did it affect you that after having some success um that after two albums that the record company dropped you and you were looking for work
0: well it was a two album deal right so it it, but they i'll tell you something between you and me and everybody else in the world (laughs) uh they signed Ricky Lee Jones, and when I heard that record, I knew that I was going to get dropped because that Ricky Lee, that record was so good and so of it of the moment. Mm-hmm. And I never analyzed. You know, some artists analyze the market and they say we got to do this kind of record now, and then we'll do this another kind of record. I I I never did that. I just was a pure songwriter and if it hit it hit if it didn't it didn't you know and and uh, so I I was happy I, I was happy to have the success at, at the publishing company that I had and and I never really thought that that my performing days were over I was just looking for another deal and I got you know I got other record deals but I just kept writing songs because it was so it was very successful, you know, and and I thought, well, I'll just keep doing this until I I make a record myself that that's a hit. And it took me, uh, you know, a, a long time before I I started making the kind of records that I love to gain, you know. When you decide to
1: when you took on this job as a songwriter, and I presume, is this like a nine to five job? Do you? I don't know if it's a nine to five, but do you go into the
0: office write no. songs? No. Oh, okay. Some some guys do, but they they, they were smart with me. They knew I, I wouldn't do that. And I I had a studio at home, and I, I worked there, and I worked with John K. Peck at his studio, and and w- we worked all the time. I'll tell you that nine to five forget it we we worked from uh, you know 10 in the morning till midnight we we were on it and we loved what we were doing and you, you still know, do. just absolutely
1: love it so tell me about that process so you, now you you're being paid to write songs yeah. do they work on deadlines is it like do you have to produce a number of songs Per month or per week or anything
0: or how does that? No, I mean maybe some people do. It depends on your deal, I guess. But uh, I they never told me anything. They'd, you know, because it was Ronnie Vance, he knew, he, he was a fan. Right. So he said, you know, just write songs. And they never, you know, I also was not the kind of songwriter. What they they. You know, some songwriters they they would they would say some staff writers they would say, uh, Madonna's looking for a for a hit. Mm-hmm. Can what can you give me something? You know, next week. <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of guys that could. Uh, Go Madonna, and then they get into that headspace, and they what, what would she do, and what are her records like, and they would analyze it, and they would come up with something that sounded like Madonna. I never could do that. I never, I didn't want to do that either. Right. I just wanted to write the best songs I could, and uh, I I didn't write them for people. What happened was I would write songs. They would go into the big pile of songs. New songs at Warner Chapel, and then the 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 A um, and R people at Warner Chapel would pitch them to artists. If they would look at the song, they would say, "Oh, this might be good for, you know, um, Joe Cocker," right, or this might be good for Cher, you know, and then, then they would send it to them.
1: Would that be? Uh, I presume there would be times when you would write a song
0: and then at the end
1: think, oh, this could work for so-and-so.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I didn't start out writing for so-and-so. Right. But when the song was done, yeah, sometimes I would have it would go, you know, you know I could do this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they would take that for what it's worth. But, but it was the job of the song... Uh, 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 of the song pluggers that worked at at the various publishing companies to go out and, and find artists that would uh, were stylistically could do the songs that were being written. So I, if I hope this
1: isn't an out of line question and if it is you can just we'll just get rid of it but um, how does payment work? Like if you get a hit song, do you still get credit for publishing or for songwriter yeah or do they do they take a bunch of that away from you because you're working well they take a
0: certain percent right they give you they give you an advance and uh, they take you know a certain percentage of the song the publishing right and then you get the rest do you remember the first hit song you wrote
1: under this agreement arrangement well uh...
0: First really, uh, the first one that really—the first one was a, a song called "Pieces of Ice," was a single for Diana Ross. Okay. It was a short-lived single because of something that happened, but but it was uh, it was zooming up the charts, and and then I don't know if you remember the song, but uh, there was a very unfortunate thing happened with this song and she did a big uh, she did a big launch in Central Park and uh, for the song it was already on the radio and it was zooming up the charts and so she did a she launched she did a big concert in Central Park based around this song and um you can look it up on YouTube. It was cr- crazy, and so it was. Anyway, it was great concert. And then she, go, and then it became time to do Pieces of Ice. And the sky <laughs> <It> was biblical. <laughs> the skies darkened, and it rained like <laughs> biblical proportions. And she stood out there in the rain. She looked so beautiful. But people started running for cover from this deluge and there was a lot of looting and people got trampled. Oh. And that's that ended that song because that was the story. Wow. The looting and the and the injuries and the you know and the fact that she couldn't even sing the whole song because you know she could have been electrocuted <laughs> but it was really unbelievable and how does, I remember the f- yeah how does that affect you as the songwriter of this potential <laughs> <hit>? <laughs> well um, you just shake your head you know? <laughs> I was so happy that she did it that was one of my first big that was the first big artist that ever recorded one of my songs and it was such a thrill for me plus I wrote a couple songs with her over the phone when she was on tour that was a thrill wow
1: so how does that how does that discipline of becoming a songwriter uh, for music publisher that discipline of doing that for a living change you as a songwriter?
0: I think it makes you better because you do it every day. You know, you don't have to tour. You don't have to rehearse with bands. You don't have to, you know, you concentrate on that one thing and it made me a better songwriter. Does it make you a better musician? Yes. Yes. I think it does. In in what way? Well, you just do it more. You're doing it all the time, you know, and you're doing it in the studio, so everything is under the microscope, so you have to do it right. Are you also crafting
1: solos, or is it mainly just music, lyrics versus chorus? M-
0: music and lyrics, and, and then we would get, you know, different people in to 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 play a lot of the stuff. you know, I mean John played all the keyboards and and I played a little bit of guitar, but mostly we would get like the session guys in and God you could get you could get anybody in those days for 25 bucks hmm.
1: <laughs> I wonder you said you were talking about how difficult a hit is and getting yeah. a hit and that it's just there's so many elements that go into it it's timing it's circumstances whatever uh, yeah. but you've had the, the, the amazing experience of having a few hits mm-hmm. how do you how do you view hits like what is and I'm not sure if it's a definition but you know you as a songwriter how what do you what's your impression of a hit and what, what does it how is it defined I guess is the question
0: well, I, I don't. I think if you could define it and you could figure it out, you could write them at will. But it, it as I said before, it's the right song at the right time in an artist's career. At the right time uh, uh, to connect with the zeitgeist at radio or wherever. And um, it also has to work live with with the venue, with the type of venue that that, the, that artist plays. For instance, you know, um, s- some very complicated songs don't... You know, Rod always, if you look at his hits, they're all fairly rhythmically simple. hmm and that's because Rod plays huge, huge rooms. And so he's... You can't do complicated... You know, you never see a funk band playing a soccer stadium. <laughs> or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because it, be, beca- you have to play... The song has to work in the space that the artist lives in. Uh, on stage has to work. It's a it's it's a very complicated. When I when I first started out playing live in Toronto, I was writing really complicated songs. Because and I could. <laughs> <laughs> so million chord changes. But when I started playing live and I had all these songs with a million chord changes and they were really sophisticated on one level but a bit of a wank on the other, I rea- by, by the time I was hearing those songs bounce off the back wall and hit me on stage again, it was just mud. Mm. And I realized that great that the hit songs have to have a simplicity to them so they can be played in any space that 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 artist plays without it sounding like a a cacophony.
1: How important is a hit as a... When you work for Warner Chapel... Was, was the goal always to write a hit song or to write a good song?
0: Well, uh, I... I felt... that they were the same thing.
1: I mean, there must be tons of songs that you've written that you think are really
0: amazing, but yeah. but didn't become but, a hit. Yes, that that's right. Because... They didn't get to the right artist at the right time in that artist's career. You know, they could have been a hit for a number of artists, but you have to... The song has to get to them at the right time in their career.
1: So are there tons of songs that's in the vault that you think are amazing songs that's never been recorded by anybody that maybe should be... Uh,
0: yeah. I have a lot of songs that were never recorded, um, and some of them are really good. What makes a good song, to you? What makes a good song? Mm -hmm. I think it has to it has to be real. It has to say something about humanity. It has to... People have to see themselves and their own lives in that song. Right. Songs are not about the songwriter. They're about the listener. So a great song is a song that when a listener hears it there's something about that song where they see themselves they see their own life they see their own loves, they see their own soul in that song somewhere that's a good song
1: do you remember the first time you appreciated a great song? Like in your youth, do you remember hearing a song going, oh, my God, that's unbelievable?
0: Well, I I, I think when I... I mean, I always loved... You know, I listened to as much Billie Holiday as I did the Beatles. Mm -hmm. But I, I loved the Beatles, but when I heard Bob Dylan, that's what really got my... turned my crank. I really loved his... Early writing. Was it the
1: lyrics? Was it the melody? Both.
0: Both. It was very simple. You know, it was also the, the zeitgeist of the time, you know, it was a very political time. Mm-hmm. You know there was a lot of changes happening in America, and and songwriting was a big part of the social change. One could argue that it it has continued to be a big part. Well, it's a big part, but it's not driving social change no. now. Really. So, at what point did you decide?
1: I know you never gave up your career, like your musical solo career. But at what point mm-hmm. did you think, okay, I'm gonna go back to this and and give it a Another serious go at becoming a musician. What well, inspired I, that?
0: Well, I came back to Canada, and I—I um, I don't know. I just started performing again because it was—it was easier here than it was in the, in in L.A. Because first of all, you couldn't play clubs in L.A. without it was almost pay to play, you know, you never got any money because they knew they could get anybody, anybody to play their clubs because people did it to get record deals. So, so they, they never pay, paid you enough. So it would have, I, I, I would have cost me money to, to play in LA. And, and when I came back to Canada, just, you know, just one thing led to another and agents. You know, heard I was back, and I won a a a Juno Award here, first year, first record back, and and uh, so people started offering me gigs, and uh, I took them. Did you have goals? Um, I, yes, I I I had goals, but it wasn't to. Play X number of concerts a year. It was just to um, my my goals when I came back were were to um, do what would make it possible for me to make a living in in Canada, which was uh, you know I I, I had a fan, yeah I had a wife and a daughter by that time. Mm-hmm. My wife was a performer, is. And um, so we... I just... I, I, I never really plan. I never really had a master plan for my career. I, I, I was very adaptable. But my... The one thing... The one thing I did... Feel was that the, every song had to be great, you know. So I just tried to write, I didn't write, I didn't try to write commercial songs, I tried to write great, great songs, meaningful songs. Okay, so I
1: you you do this as a full time job still, is you get up in the morning and you write songs, correct? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that process, like. I know today I'm disrupting your routine, but <laughs> but in, the, in a normal day, you say you look up, look forward to getting up and writing songs. The, yeah, and I hate to ask the stupid question of which comes first, lyrics or music. But which does which uh-huh. does it change every time, or is there a no.
0: pattern? Uh, mostly melody comes first, and. Uh, I, I usually have an idea of the lyric. Like, I usually get a, an idea of what I'm trying to say. And then... Here's the thing. Melody is language. It's an early iteration of language. I mean, the earliest was rhythm. Right. You know, people hit trees and hollow logs and then they started chanting and that was melody. And it was all to say, I'm here. I'm on the planet. I exist. And then they developed language. Language. But melody is language. So... Once I have a melody I try to say in words what the melody is telling me melodically. Does a melody come to
1: you just within your head and it just kind of pattern of yeah. no patterns, or is it do you sit down
0: by the keyboard and well, a little of both, but they come to me.
1: Does the melody drive the th- Theme of the song or the idea of the lyrics?
0: Uh, quite often it does, yeah.
1: And yeah. And so, is there always a melody? Is there always a lyric out there, or do, like, are there days that you wake up and you go, "I got nothing"?
0: Yeah, especially now, because I get ideas walking down the street. I get ideas seeing a person. Sitting in a cafe, I get ideas watching a mother scold her child. I, you know, I get ideas from being around people, but these days it's kind of tough. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah
1: because um, that's right here I mean I, I hear a lot of musicians or I've talked to a lot of musicians they'll say they're driving down the highway and then something comes to them or they'll hear a phrase and then they want to yeah but but when it's like get up go downstairs go to the studio and start working you know every day I find that yeah. interesting that the discipline that that it takes to do that every day as opposed to some people who are only right when they're inspired
0: well, um, I find that I can inspire myself if I come up with a great melody, and you know, that 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 has um, that has a a message, uh, uh, something that within it, uh, the language of the melody itself is. Uh, Soulful and uh, uh, mean something.
1: But if you do this on a daily basis, I'm thinking, and I don't know how long it takes to write songs. I presume sometimes it's minutes and sometimes it's years. It's never minutes with me. <laughs> okay, me. Me. Yeah, alright. <laughs> but what, so you must have this massive collection of songs yes
0: i don't finish them all uh because Uh, you think some of them they they start off right and but they they're not um i don't you know maybe it's they they just don't work exactly how i want them to so so i um you know, I I call them breeder songs. I use, I use bits and pieces of them in other songs. Right. Okay. Takes me a long time to write a song. I, I I'm slower now than I used to be, actually.
1: So, a few years ago, I interviewed Lou Pamonti, and he was yeah. raving about your album um, because he had <laughs> just finished working on it, I believe. And he he said it's one of your best albums. And I and the the thing that struck me was I I thought wow, he's doing songs of other people when I think of him, when I think of you as a songwriter. Yeah. Um, how difficult was it
0: to choose those songs? To do... Uh, uh, well, it took some thinking, and, and uh, but I just did songs that I liked, and it was a bit of an homage to my father, in, in a sense, because we did it with orchestra. Right. And... Um, it, they, they, I mean, there's everything from, you know, Lou Reed to Joni Mitchell there and, and uh, you know, and, and American Songbook. I, it, it's, a, it's a hodgepodge in a way, but I think we made it work because of the orchestra. And Lou's a terrific produ- He's a wonderful arranger and producer.
1: Mm-hmm. What did you learn from that process of doing other people's
0: songs? I learned to um, let the song do the work. I learned to, well, I I often undersing, uh, but I I I let the song be the star.
1: I have to tell you, there's you know obviously with the pandemic, there's a lot of things that's posted on Facebook of different musicians playing songs but one of the most stunning things that I got to see was you and Lou playing both sides now. Oh, I mean it was it was it was so amazing. I wrote to Lou right after and said, "My god, this is beautiful."
0: Yeah. Um, well, it's a it's an amazing song. Yeah. And something
1: that's yeah. kind of you know, you li- you listen to her original version many many years ago and you hear the orchestration the version she did with the orchestra, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And it's almost like a different song, yet both yeah. are just as good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. That's the mark of a great song.
1: But then there are other songs that, to me, are untouchable, like Try a Little Tenderness. I, like, I can't, yeah. well, I hear other people doing it, but it's never as good. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's um so what's what's next? Well I'm doing a duets record with my wife. We're more than halfway through it. I know you've uh, written
1: with her before, but have you done any much recording with
0: her? No, not a lot,
1: really. By choice?
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: And how are you finding <laughs> that experience?
0: Uh, p- pretty good. You know, she's very, uh, she's a great singer. And uh, I enjoy uh, working with her and, and we do it at home in the studio here. And it all worked out pretty good.
1: So are these songs written by you or are you doing
0: covers? No, they're mostly covers. Oh, Okay. Most, uh, a couple of originals, but we just did songs we like. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a fun, it was just fun. No no pressure, really. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I should wrap this up. I, I want to thank you because, I, as I said, I've wanted to interview you for a long time. I think songwriting I think songs are such amazing things. And and they just are. the fact that they have such power when when the right song is done and how it can move people and that you have that ability to do that. It's That's a pretty actually. amazing thing.
0: It's a, it's a
1: it's a great way to spend your life. <laughs> can I can I ask you my last question to you is like what's the greatest thing you've learned from being a songwriter?
0: That it's not about the writer, it's about the listener. Hmm. It's all about the listener. And it's not about chasing trends. It's not about chasing radio. It's not about chasing charts. It's about writing something that touches the soul. And it's something that holds a little bit of a mirror up to uh humanity and what it means to be a human
1: right well thank you so much for doing this I really appreciate it
0: well thank you you're a a wonderful interviewer well thanks I
1: I think we'll end it there and um, I am thrilled to have had the chance to talk to you well thank you so much